0: Please turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke and that to chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And you'll see the reason why we sang that song that we just did. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Hear now God's Word. Father in heaven, as we look now into sacred scripture, explain to us all over again the wonder of the gospel. And would we, like the heavenly host, rejoice and declare our praises to Jesus Christ. We ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would do in us what we cannot, and that you would make in us what we are not. All for your glory we pray. Amen. When Caesar Augustus gave the royal decree, it set in motion a village carpenter in Nazareth to make his way to Bethlehem. It was about a week's journey north, and that through rough desert terrain. And traveling with a pregnant bride must have extended the trip a bit longer. By the time they arrived at their destination, there was no adequate place for them to stay. And so they took the next available room, which was in the stable with the animals. Finally, the time came for her to push. And on a night like any other night in an obscure town in Israel, a child was born. And they called his name Jesus. This is a story that is greatly familiar to us. One that we consider every Advent season. But I think there's something to singing Christmas songs in the middle of May. And that I think it allows us to be drawn in without the excess. Without the things that are inconsequential. And to possibly see with better clarity the message God has for us in the incarnation of His Son. Now what appeared to be a fairly quiet birth is given a heavenly birth announcement. One that was incredibly spectacular. We see a concert of angels singing and giving praise to God. As Mary sang her Magnificat and Zechariah his Benedictus, the celestial host, they sing Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And so as we've been following along with Luke, this is actually the third hymn. And it's a heavenly doxology for the provision of God's Son. And that's that's what we have in our text before us. Here was God's declaration that the Christ was born, that Israel's long-awaited Messiah, He had come. Now, as you look down at this narrative, you'll notice that it can be divided into a few scenes. A few scenes which will serve as an outline for us. The first scene that we're introduced to is of the fields nearby with shepherds caring for their flock. And then follows a second scene of an angel appearing from heaven who is then accompanied by a multitude more. The third scene takes us back to the manger where the Lord Jesus was laid. And lastly, this story of the birth announcement ends not in a particular location or space, but in Mary's heart as she pondered about all that had taken place. And so, four scenes that I want us to look at, four scenes are brought before us, first to the hills, and then to the heavens, and then to a barn, and lastly in Mary's heart. Well, if you are a little bit more OCD and would like a cleaner outline with all H's, I guess you could replace the barn with a place full of hay. Uh, I won't do that, but you can do that in your own notes. Well, we begin with the first scene here following the birth of Jesus Christ to the hills nearby. You'll recall from last Lord's Day, from the story of Jesus' birth, that the welcome He received, or rather didn't receive, wasn't one that He deserved. The manner in which Christ came was so very quiet, so very poor. No global fanfare, no kingly pomp, no great pageantry. He he came down to us unrecognized, unacknowledged. You see, at the very least, every son born into a Jewish home was cause of great celebration. It was an occasion for singing and rejoicing with family members and and friends. Notice in your Bibles, this was the case just a few verses earlier in the birth of Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, John. The people heard about it. And they all gathered into their home and the angels promised that all would rejoice at His birth. It came true. But what transpired in the evening of Jesus' birth was unlike John's. There were no friends, no, no neighbors, no family. Remember, Joseph and Mary, they were not in the location where they were known. They had left Nazareth to register in Bethlehem. And so it was a different community. It was a different place. And so the likelihood of people coming and showing up at the door, especially in a stable, was very slim. He came to this world unnoticed. His entrance was a humble one, a humility that was displayed throughout His ministry, which ultimately culminated at the cross. But following the birth of Jesus Christ, an announcement It had to be made. Somehow it had to be celebrated. It it was the most important birth that had ever taken place in all of redemptive history. Greater than any king. Greater than any ruler. Greater than any person. And while at John's birth, the people, remember, they wondered, what then will this child be? There needed to be no pondering here. No guessing here. But an explanation of who this child was and is and is to come. So that the people could understand that God the Son had come down in human flesh to save sinners. Notice here, God, He does that. He makes an announcement. He explains so that there is no confusion as to the identity of this child. He is the Savior, He is Christ. The Lord. And so he sent angels and myriads of them to make that declaration. But of all the places God sends his heavenly host to declare the birth of his only begotten Son, he doesn't send them to the halls of palaces, nor does he commission them to the places of influence or to the cities most populated. But He sends them nearby to the fields of that very same region. And you see, while everyone else was sleeping, there were a few that were awake. And they were working. And they were going about their nightly responsibilities, which was caring for flocks of sheep. Notice with me in chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now there's a little bit of a misunderstanding of shepherds. We probably have a more positive view of them as we see them as caretakers, protectors. Uh, In our context, we think of shepherds more in the spiritual sense within the church. Men of character and maturity and faithfulness. I don't think any of us here have any hands-on experience with real sheep minus the Lou family. I heard yesterday from the grapevine that they had to sell their five sheep. I hope you sold them. But in the first century context, shepherds, they weren't held in the highest esteem. And we know that because in various rabbinic texts, shepherds were barred. They were barred from giving any credible testimony in the law courts of Israel. Now that's very telling. Why so? It's because they were generally seen as being untrustworthy. They were known to lack the ability to discern between the sheep that belonged to them and the sheep that belonged to others, if you know what I mean. There was a lot of sheep stealing between shepherds. Maybe the opening of a fence to let some sheep through to graze in your pasture. I don't know. You know, there was a reason why the shepherds kept watch over their flock at night. Yes, it was to protect the sheep from the wolves, but it was also from thieves by other shepherds. And so they didn't have the best reputation. And not only was their testimony invalid in the court of law, but they they seldomly participated in the religious services of their day. You see, because of their very profession, they often came in contact with dead animals, and unclean animals, which then rendered them ceremonially unfit and unable to participate in the services of the temple. And so they missed a lot of worship services. And they tended to wash their hands a little bit less than they were supposed to. And you put those two things together and what you have were a despised group of people by the religious or orthodox of the day. They were societal outcasts. Now, that was how they were generally viewed. But as keen students of the Bible, we often find that those who were of this lower class, those who were seen to be at the bottom of the social spectrum, they were actually those who had the greatest faith. Whether it was the tax collector or the blind beggar, whether it was the prostitute or the leper. And here on the evening of the birth of Christ, God's eternal Son, the announcement was made to the most unlikely of people, to lowly shepherds. Lest you think that God is for good people, He is really for needy sinners. He is for lowly sinners, desperate for His grace. Mary knew something of this in her song when she said that, my God, my Savior, has looked upon my humble estate. Uh, Three times in the Gospel accounts, Jesus says, "I I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now He's not saying that there's a class of people who don't think they're sinners, a class of people who don't think they need the grace of God. Jesus says, I've come to call those who know themselves to be sinners. And so while these shepherds were looking after their sheep, God, by His grace, He came looking for them. And God delivered the greatest news since the fall in the garden that the Holy Seed, the, the one who was to reconcile sinners back to God, He had come. You know, names are very important in the Gospel of Luke. We know that. Names have significance like Zechariah, the Lord remembers, Elizabeth, my God is faithful, John, the lord is gracious names to show us what god what god was doing but notice with these shepherds there are no names we're not given any of the names of these shepherds maybe luke didn't need to provide that information because it was so clear and evident what god was doing with these shepherds giving grace to the lowly And so firstly, this birth announcement is given to the shepherds in the hills. But secondly, notice the focus. It now shifts to the heavens. When an angel appeared to these very shepherds. Look at verse 9. And an angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. God has sent a lot of angels thus far in Luke to Zechariah and then to Mary, and now to these shepherds. And you'll notice with every encounter, all were filled with fear. That seems to be the normal pattern in being greeted by an angel. Fear, fear is the one constant. And I imagine it to be a frightening thing to come face to face with an angel of God an altogether unworldly creature. But I think that That the fear these men and women experienced has less to do with the supernatural experience and more so with the holy radiance of that being, which brought a sense of dread and apprehension and fear. You see, in encountering sinless purity, their own sinful frailty was exposed. Listen to John. He says that everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And I think a little bit of this was taking place here with the angel from heaven in which the glory of the Lord, as we're told in verse 9, was shining around them. And so the shepherds rightly feared. But then the angel responded in verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So here was the grand announcement. The angel says, fear not. I have not come to destroy you, but to encourage you. And that with good news of great joy. And what was this good news? This euangelion. What was this gospel news? that in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord is born. The good news was that on the very day, on that very day in Bethlehem, the Savior had come. And this without question was the greatest birth announcement ever given, ever received. You see, we're used to receiving birth announcements from family members, from friends from fellow church members. And sometimes we'll be given information about the baby. Such as the time the baby was born. Or its weight. Or its length. But here the angel communicates the really important things about this baby. He was from the city of David. That must have meant something for these shepherds. It's because their thoughts would have gone to another shepherd who had one time long ago was born in Bethlehem who had risen to become the King of God's people and how God had promised that He would raise up yet again from the Davidic line somebody who would reign forever and ever. But notice they were also told in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, who is Christ the Lord is born. You know, Christ, as we know, is not Jesus' last name. It's His title. It means anointed. That's what the title Christ means. It is the Greek rendering for the ancient Hebrew title of the Messiah. The anointed one whom God would send to save His people was born. And you know, if we look back in our Old Testaments, God in dealing with His people in the Old Testament, at times, He would anoint certain individuals They were anointed for His service. The king was, for example, anointed to rule over the people. The prophet was anointed to speak to the people. The priests were anointed in order to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, offering forgiveness and cleansing for a period of time. But a king who reigned over their hearts had never come before. A priest who could take away their guilt forever had never come. A prophet who could speak God's last word into their hearts had never come. But tonight, that very night in Bethlehem, there had been born the Christ whom the angel said was the Lord. And all this because of a decree. A decree issued by the greatest authority known to man, a decree from the imperial throne that all the world should be taxed, a decree that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. But now these shepherds noticed they had and they heard an altogether different decree, a higher decree, an older decree, a more powerful decree, an infinitely greater decree. If Caesar Augustus decreed that all the world should undergo taxation, God through His Son decreed that all the world should hear the offer of salvation. He is Christ the Lord. He is born as Savior. Beloved, this is the most important birth announcement we can ever hear or receive. More important than... One that at some time you may have given. More important than one that you may possibly may never get to give. He is Christ the Lord. He is Savior. Now there's one thing about this birth announcement that is very unusual, yet striking. You know, when a birth announcement is given, and you'll probably see this really written on a birth certificate. And it should read something like this. Born to you, and you'll have, or born to, and you'll have the father's name and the mother's name. Born to Daniel and Deborah Bay. know. Born to Stephen and Rebecca Lee. Born to, and what should follow are the parents. But there's something very out of place here in this birth announcement the angel comes and he says to the shepherds something that you would not expect. He doesn't say, born this day in the city of David to Joseph and Mary, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But the angel declares, born this day to you. Born this day unto you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And it's in those two words, unto you, to you, that makes all the difference. The angel, in speaking to these lowly shepherds, to these men with dusty feet, with weathered face, the angel says, He is born to you. To you to be cherished and loved to you to find all your rejoicing in to you to be trusted upon for salvation if you are without Christ this afternoon he is born to you and for you that he he might be brought home into your heart he is the savior he is Christ the lord rescuing men and women and children from their condemnation and sin redeeming sinners by coming to fallen humanity in their likeness, living a life of holy obedience and fulfilling all righteousness for their sake, dying a most heinous death by being nailed to the cross, overcoming death by rising from the grave, ascending to His Father's right hand and sitting down to declare His work has been done. This Savior is for you to be received by faith to be trusted upon for the well-being and salvation of your soul. This day to you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do not despise Him, but come to Him in trusting faith. And you see that the most significant thing a person could ever say is, to me. To me. To me, He came. To me, He is my Savior. To me, He is Christ my Lord. To everyone here in this room, in your heart of hearts, are the words of the angel, do they ring true for you? Can you really say, He has been given to me? that you can confidently sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Martin Luther, our favorite German reformer, he said this, that the sweetness of the Gospel lies mostly in pronouns. Who loved me? Who gave Himself for me? Christ Jesus, my Lord. The sweetness of the angel's announcement is when we're able to say to Me. And notice after this amazing announcement, the angel he told the shepherds, look with me in verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. But that single angel was now accompanied with a multitude of the heavenly host. Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is well pleased. It was a spectacular sight. From one end of the night sky to the other was filled with this great choir of angelic creatures. Multitudes without number. These shepherds were given the privilege to see what very few have ever seen. It was the Gloria. All the host of heaven sang, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And what made this song so different that is obvious obviously to us is that it was sung not by men and women, but it was sung by the angels. It was not a hymn that rose up from earth, but an anthem that came down from heaven. And it can be said then that this heavenly doxology actually then gave a fuller revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ. You see, what these shepherds were able to experience was the worship that has from eternity past been given. In heaven. These shepherds were allowed a glimpse into heaven's worship. For the the Son of God has always and ever enjoyed the adoration and praise of His angels. Correct? From before the foundation of the world, these sinless creatures had worshipped Him with perpetual praise. And now, God was sending His Son into the world where He would be despised and rejected and unto death for the salvation of a lost and ruined race. Therefore, therefore, this was the most glorious demonstration that God had ever made of His grace. And so if you can imagine that worship service, it was right for Him to receive the highest praise. Listen to what the Reformed Bishop J.C. Ryle has to say here. He says this, Now is come the highest degree of glory to God by the appearing of His Son Jesus Christ into the world. He, by His life and death on a cross, will glorify God's attributes, justice, holiness, mercy, and wisdom as they were never glorified before. And so you see the night sky opened and across the dark sky lit up with this countless chorus of angels and different classes of them, great ones and mighty ones, strange ones and peculiar looking ones, some with lots of wings and some with a few wings. And they were all singing in a new venue, praising God on earth as they had always done in heaven. Think about that. And singing in a new key, praising God for His grace to sinners. Imagine what joy these angels had in giving perfect praise unto God. But then imagine, standing in the field with dirty feet, with weathered face, these shepherds watching all of this take place. Can you imagine? How is it that these men were able to participate in that worship service. It ought to teach us, this scene ought to teach us a little bit of how we should approach our worship service as a privilege, as a holy and glorious privilege with utmost gratitude, with deep reverence, with absolute Amazement. Glory to God in the highest. And here's what the angels said next. And on earth peace among those whom He has pleased. Well, what is this peace? It's a cosmic peace that never ends through eternity. None other than peace with the holy and living God. Isn't it interesting that the host of heaven which is literally translated, the army of heaven. The armies of heaven. They came to declare peace. The armies of heaven came and they declared peace. You see, if it not were for this one who had been born, if it not were for this child lying in a manger, if it not were for this Savior who is Christ the Lord, this immeasurable host of angels, wouldn't have been singing a hymn of peace but a battle cry of judgment. If these shepherds were afraid and in fear in seeing one angel who had come in peace, what would have happened if they saw not one but millions upon millions to execute God's judgment? I can't even fathom such fear sometimes we need to see something different, a celestial army to remind us of the consequence of our sins. What would have been if not for Christ? Which ought to show us how we can never take our sins lightly. We can never take Christ for granted. Listen to Paul in Colossians 1.20, For in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What a glorious cross. Would we never find ourselves weary of the cross, but always and ever be amazed, beloved. And though we might think that this was the greatest sight any man could ever see, Luke draws us to a sight which is greater. Which brings us to the third scene. Look with me in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. There is a greater and more glorious sight, isn't there? This sight of all the angels in heaven singing paled in comparison to the sight of Him as Hebrews 1 tells us who is more superior than the angels. Look at verse 16. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. It is a far more... Glorious thing to turn our eyes upon Jesus and to look into His face. An application that became so apparent to me as I thought about this passage, as I meditated on this passage, passage was just how much I find myself gazing into earthly, trivial things over against the sight of Christ. How I neglect the beauty and the majesty and the glory for for what is really useless rubbish than the glory of Christ do you do that christian i think we can all confess that we don't always count all things lost for the sake of christ which is why we need to get on our knees every day and pray lord help me help me to see christ today to see christ today as greater and as better. Turn my eyes upon Him. You know, when the shepherds decided to leave their post and to go see this thing that had happened, how, how did they know where to find the child? I mean, they weren't given an address with a street number. They weren't given any navigational directions. Have you ever been in a town or in a place With no street numbers, I have. In Israel, in the old city of Jerusalem. I remember on the first night, I was there coming back to the hostel with Pastor Eric and Pastor Minjay from the western wall of the temple. We passed by a pizza stand. And I put that in my memory bank. And when we got back to the hostel, I couldn't resist, so I said, you know what? I'm going to go hit up that pizza stand. I'll be right back. I was calm. I was cool. I was collected. I'll be right back. Let's just say that what should have taken me about five to ten minutes took me about an hour. Pastor Eric probably has more to say about that. He'll probably tell you that when I left to get the pizza, I was very calm and cool and collected. But when I came back, I was very scared and I was sweating like a pig but at least I got the pizza. But notice these shepherds, they weren't given any directions. And so I imagine this band of shepherds, they went into the town of Bethlehem, knocking on doors, going from house to house. And as the front door was opened, I, I imagine this band of shepherds, someone from the back of the group saying something like, hey, Isaac, is the, do you see the baby? Is he, is he in there? No. Alright, let's go to the next house. Hello? Is there a baby here? Yes, there's a baby here. Oh, and they look. Oh, but the crib isn't right. It's too nice. It's too quality. It looks like it's from Pottery Barn. I'm looking for, I'm looking for a manger here. And they finally, they finally come to the place where Joseph and Mary were with Jesus. And I'm sure they must have together said, It's here. That's him. How did they know? He was wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying In a manger, a a trough of food for animals. Now, what a contrast to the vision of the heavenly worship in which they were just given. Now to the barn in which they had just arrived. And to see their very Savior in a manger. And I don't think they thought to themselves This is it. This is what this whole concert of angels, with this big fuss, was all about. This is it. I don't believe that. They were awestruck in holy reverence. They were able to recognize the child by his humility. And the same goes for us today. We can recognize Christ by his humility, by his dying upon the cross. For our sins, but it's because it was just as the angel had told them. And these shepherds, they were absolutely convinced and they believed he was the Christ. Well, how do we know that? Are you making this up? No. Because notice that this scene in the barn, it eventually ends. It ends because the shepherds, they returned back to their homes. Notice that they had to go back to their lives, their daily lives. They had to go back to shepherding. And if you look at verse 20, it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. What was the result of their coming to see the Christ? They glorified and praised God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. These lowly shepherds teach each and every one of us how we are to respond to the good news when we come to see Christ. That whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. Finally, notice this last scene. doesn't take place in any particular field or stable or night sky, but it takes place in the heart of Mary. Verse 17, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You know, the more we come to know Mary, the more we find her to be a remarkable young woman. Think about all that she had just experienced the drama that entered her life when the angel first appeared to her, the stirrings of the Son of God within her teenage womb, having given birth while never knowing a man, and doing so in the most humbling of all places, lying the child where the animals ate their food. And prior to the birth, she must have lived for those months in which she carried the baby as the center of everyone's gossip. Snide remarks. Whispered allegations. Obvious glares and glances from the people. Wondering when her betrothed would leave her until he himself was met by an angel. There had to be, at times, discouragement. And other times, embarrassment. Possibly in moments, fear and doubt. Yet what we find here is that God god kept her and maybe when she felt the most anxious about all that was taking place the lord sent these lowly shepherds to her and i'm imagining they must have asked are you the mother of this child yes i am we need to tell you what happened Tonight we were watching over the flock and an angel appeared to us and told us that this day a Savior was born. He's Christ the Lord. And then all of a sudden, we saw a heavenly throng of angels. There was multitudes and multitudes and they were all singing glory to God in the highest. And you can just imagine Mary just looking at these shepherds smiling. You saw angels? I saw one too, right? It was a moment of assurance that she would never forget but always keep in our heart. You see, beloved, we we have a God who is gracious to us. We have a God who is gracious to us in the same way. Who cares for us? Who has sent His only begotten for us? Would we then treasure Christ in our hearts and would we, like the shepherds, give Him all the glory? Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, You have given to us privilege after privilege, mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace. We are so undeserving that You would give to us, to us, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And would we treasure Him in our hearts. And would we give all the glory to Him in hearing about the Gospel of our salvation all over again, would You give to us a greater brokenness over our sin and a deeper appreciation for Christ. Make us like Mary, trusting in You. And make us like these shepherds, praising and glorifying You. But most of all, make us more like Your Son, who is our Savior and Redeemer and King, in whose name we pray, Amen.